So uh, Christmas Eve is coming, uh, the 24th. Again, this year is on the 24th. Um, <laughs> every year at our Christmas Eve service, we take up an offering, uh, a Christmas offering uh, that we give away. And uh, this year, we are dividing that offering between two ministries that were really born here, born out of Riverstone, uh, Rescuing Hope and the Hope Box. Uh, yeah. Two, two incredible ministries. Rescuing Hope uh, is uh, Susan Norris started this ministry, and its focus is uh, rescuing victims of human trafficking. And so we want to give to that. And then also Hope Box. And the Hope Box was started by uh, the Keppens, Joel and Sarah Keppen. And uh, the focus of that ministry is rescuing abandoned babies. So these are two things that you definitely want to give to. And we want to get behind these ministries and help them and support them. So on the 24th, we'll take up an offering uh, and, and give to those two ministries. So be praying about that and asking the Lord uh, how much he would have you give uh, at that time. So this is the third Sunday of, of Advent. I almost said Lent. <laughs> uh, it's third Sunday of Advent, and this third Sunday is referred to as Gaudetta Sunday. Gaudetta Sunday. Uh, Gaudetta is a, a Latin word, word that means rejoice. Uh, Advent, believe it or not, originally was 40 days of fasting leading up to Christmas. So I'm just curious, how many of you have been fasting and you find that the Christmas season is the best time to fast? <laughs> right. I, I think somehow we've shifted and now Advent is not 40 days of fasting, it's 40 days of feasting. And uh, we're eating everything in sight. So um, Advent originally, though, was a, a, a period of 40 days of, of fasting leading up to Christmas. And this, this third week, Gaudetta, uh, Pope Francis said, Gaudetta Sunday is known as the Sunday of joy. And instead of fretting about all we still haven't done to prepare for Christmas, people should think of all the good things that life has given you. And so today, if you're one of those people, you still have a to-do list. There are things that you haven't done yet. You feel like you're not prepared. You're not ready for Christmas. I want you to just set that aside, that anxiousness, and focus on all of the blessings that God has put in your life. Now, Christmas has always been a big deal in my family. Uh, those of you who've known me for a while, you know I, I grew up in a kind of kind of a large family. There were six uh, six children in our family, and for some of you that seems overwhelming, and for others of you, uh, you're thinking, "Wow, six would be easy." Um, but there are a few here with seven or eight, and I don't know how you do that, but but go for it. So we had six kids in our family, and we loved Christmas. It was, it, we got excited. We started counting the days till Christmas in June. I mean, seriously, that, you know, in June we could say, okay, it's this many days until Christmas. And we would keep count of that through the summer. The focus in the summer was 
Christmas. And then school would start. Now, hard to to fathom this, but school back in those days actually started in September. We actually had a summer. And uh, so school would start in September. and, And when school started, you thought, wow, Christmas is here. I mean, Christmas is right at the doorstep. It's almost here. And then Thanksgiving would come, and for sure, for sure, you were almost at a fever pitch when Thanksgiving hit because you knew the next holiday is Christmas. And we're, we're counting days, counting days. But by far, the most expectation, excitement-filled week was that third week that third week that we, when we started the week of Christmas. So Christmas is a week away. And here's why it was so exciting for us. My grandmother, my mom's mother, was the best present giver in the history of the world. <laughs> and she would load her car with presents for the kids You see, our tradition was we made stacks under the Christmas tree. I don't know if any of y'all do that, but uh, the Tanner family, we're extremely competitive in every area. And so we wanted to make sure that nobody else is getting more presents than we are. And so we had all of our presents separated into stacks, and we counted them daily to make sure, you know, that we're okay. It's okay if I had more than everybody else, but I didn't want to have less, right? And so we would count our presents. Well, on this first day of the last week, my grandmother would pull up in front of the house with a car loaded with presents. I don't know how she did it, but with six grandkids, she would have six, seven, eight, sometimes nine presents for every child. And we would just make trip after trip after trip out to the car and bring them in and stack them under the tree. And that was the fever pitch of expectation and Christmas. We were out of control. By the third Sunday of Advent, now think about this. What we've been talking about this Advent season is all about expectation. This expectation that is building. And the expectation, the focus of Advent is the coming of Jesus. It's the coming of Jesus in his first coming, in his birth. It's the coming of Jesus in our presence now, here, today. It's the coming of Jesus when he returns in the future to set everything right. We celebrate in Advent that Jesus came, that Jesus is coming, and that Jesus will come. Now think about this. As we move further and further into Advent, into the expectation of his return, the expectation of his coming, it increases the excitement, the anticipation. The people of God By the third week of Christmas, by the third week of Advent, the people of God are at a fever pitch. The expectation of his coming is unsurpassed. Listen to it this way. Isaiah 35, beginning at verse 1. The desert and the parched land 
will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, it will burst into bloom. It will rejoice greatly and shout for joy. The glory of Lebanon will be given to it. The splendor of Carmel and Sharon. They will see the glory of the Lord, the splendor of our God. Strengthen the feeble hands. Steady the knees that give way. Say to those with fearful hearts, be strong. Do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. And the ransomed of the Lord will return. They will enter Zion with singing. Everlasting joy will crown their heads. Gladness and joy will overtake them. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. The third Sunday of Advent is a day of joy because the Lord is near. The third Sunday of Advent, it's a day of joy because of the nearness of the Lord. Now, explaining the difference between happiness and joy, Henry Nouwen said this, while happiness is dependent on external conditions, joy is the experience of knowing that you are unconditionally loved and that nothing, sickness, failure, emotional distress, oppression, war, or even death can take that love away. Now today I want us to turn uh, to Philippians uh, chapter 4 and we're going to focus on joy and, and kind of our, our goal today is to identify some of the sources of joy for us. Because we want to be people who walk in joy. Now, we would probably, if we were honest, we would have to admit that there are days that we don't walk in joy. There are some days when we uh, slip into that complaining mode. You remember the, the, the commercial years ago, Don't You Hate Whiners? And there are times... When, when we slip into that whining and complaining mode and we let joy kind of fade. But we want to focus on joy today and, and, and claim it because it belongs to us. It's something that God has given us. So Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Now let's pray. Lord, I pray that, uh, that you would open our eyes and open our hearts to joy, to the offer that you have made and, and actually delivered. 
on our behalf. I pray, God, that today there would be an outbreak of joy in this place that would be life-changing. In Jesus' name, amen. Let me, let me give you a little background, a little history. So Philippians was written by Paul uh, during his first Roman imprisonment. Uh, now Philippi was actually the place of Paul's first church plant. If you read through the book of Acts, uh, the New Testament, you'll see that, that Paul planted several churches. Uh, he was a church planter. That was what he was about. His first church plant was at Philippi. And it was around 52 A.D., uh, Philippi in, in northern Greece. Uh, typically, now, as we read through Acts, we see that, that Paul's typical method for planting a church was to go to the synagogue. He would go to a city, he would find the synagogue, he would go there and he would teach, and he would find like-minded people, and that's who he would plant the church with. But the problem with Philippi is that there were not enough Jewish males to have a synagogue. They had to have a minimum of 10, and they didn't have it. So it was a small community that didn't have enough men, so they couldn't have a synagogue. So guess where Paul went to plant this church in Philippi? He went to the ladies' prayer group. I can't think of a better place, obviously. I, 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 honestly, I can't think of a better place to go. I'm surprised. I'm surprised that... that one of our church planters hasn't discovered the Thursday morning ladies group and just tried to plant a church with those ladies because it would be world changing. So Paul, uh, he, he plants this church with these ladies. And while he's in uh, Lydia, or Lydia was one of the main, she was like the, the main leader of this prayer group. And she was a businesswoman. And while Paul was in Philippi, meeting with these ladies and beginning, uh, getting ready to plant this church, he's walking one day and, and there's a, a girl, a young girl who was a fortune teller. She's following him around and, and he basically casts a demon out of her so she'll leave him alone. And her owners got angry because now she couldn't, tell the future because this demon had been cast out and it was costing them money. And so they trumped up some charges against Paul and he was arrested. So he's arrested basically for casting out a demon. And now Paul is in jail and it's, he's in the dark, he's in chains, it's around midnight and he and his friends, companions, are worshiping. And God's response to their worship is an earthquake. How many of you felt the earthquake last week? A few of you. This was a little different than that little tremor. This earthquake shook the whole town, and it shook the jail so severely that the doors flew open. And they could have left, but they didn't. For whatever reason, they stayed there. The doors are open. They're sitting there in the jail. They continue to worship and to pray. And the jailer, because he knows if they escape that he will be executed, he cries out, what must I do to be saved? And so Paul leads this jailer and his entire household to Jesus. So we're talking probably his wife 
and his children and his parents and any household servants, everybody basically that lives in his house is led to the Lord. And so Philippians, the church in Philippi, starts with Lydia, the jailer in his household, and the ladies' prayer group. Now this letter to Philippians is written several years later while Paul is in jail again. He, he did that a lot. So <laughs> Paul is in jail again. This time he's under house arrest in Rome. Now he was arrested in Jerusalem on a false charge. And because he was a Roman citizen, he appealed to Caesar and they sent him to Rome. And so now he's in prison under house arrest waiting for trial. And he waits for two years for this trial. And the interesting thing about that is that during those two years, Luke, the doctor, wrote the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. And the reason that he wrote them was to use them in Paul's defense. And so Paul's defense, Anthony, you, you could just next time you're in trial, just take a book of the Bible <laughs> and just read it. Because that's what Luke did. He read Luke and Acts and Paul was acquitted. So that's just an interesting tidbit. So Paul, writing from prison, is filled with joy. He's facing a lonely future. He's facing a trial which could lead to his death. He knows that people who should be praying for him, fellow believers who should be praying for him, are actually preaching against him. And still, as you read through Philippians, his favorite words in this letter are joy, rejoice, and thanksgiving. So then, the question, where does that kind of joy come from? So I'm going to mention five places, five things. Number one, our joy comes from Jesus. Our joy comes from Jesus. John 15 11 says, I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. Our joy is complete when it is his joy. When his joy is in us, that's the thing that makes our joy complete. Jesus says that my joy might remain in you. The joy that we have, the joy that we want, is his joy, and it can only come from him. His joy is not a joy that comes and goes. It is a joy that remains. He says that my joy might remain in you. Now, th does that mean that you have to be happy all the time? No, it doesn't. There are times in life, hear me on this, there are times in life when the only appropriate response is sadness. But even in sadness, we can experience the joy of Jesus. Even in sadness. It's not a surface, put on, fake joy. It is deep, it is abiding, it is real, and it fits. It fits. The joy of Jesus fits the wedding and the funeral. That's how complete it is. So number one, our joy comes from Jesus. Number two, 
Our joy is given by the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The Holy Spirit deposits and grows fruit in us. How many of you have recognized or realized that the fruit of the Spirit increases in you over time? How many of you would say that you had just the day you gave your life to Jesus, all of a sudden, you had every fruit of the Spirit at maximum degree, and you've walked in that every day of your life, every minute of the day from now on. Probably not. What God does with fruit is he deposits that fruit and he cultivates it. And it grows. It increases over time. Mostly when you cultivate an atmosphere of cooperation with him. Now, several years ago, my wife and I had a chance to go to Balmoral, which is uh, the holiday home for the queen. It's in Scotland. I'll show you a picture of it. Everybody should have a holiday home like that. They were celebrating the, what, what year of, the Diamond Jubilee for the Queen. And so that's kind of a big deal, apparently. And uh, so we, we went, and here, here's the thing. It's a fascinating castle. I love castles. But behind this castle was a greenhouse. And inside this greenhouse, flowers. Now, Scotland is a land of beauty, flowers everywhere. But one more picture. When you go into the greenhouse, it's flowers on steroids. <laughs> and the reason is because in the greenhouse, they have cultivated an atmosphere partners with the growth of these flowers. And so everywhere you go in Scotland, you have this level of flower, but in the greenhouse, you got this level of flower because there's an intentional creating of an atmosphere for growth. And so what I'm, what I'm saying to you is God has deposited in you his fruit. He is cultivating that fruit. He is increasing that fruit. You can partner with that or you can resist it. How do you partner with that? You partner with that uh, through prayer and through scripture and through an attitude of, of thankfulness, through choosing to believe. And the way that you work against it is by complaining and being jealous and resentful and angry. And so God deposits this fruit in us and then he wants us to partner with him in the cultivating and the increase of this fruit. Unless you are intentionally increasing, you will unintentionally decrease. Unless you are intentionally 
increasing in the things of God, you will unintentionally decrease. Now the third thing, the third source of this joy is birthright. Joy is a birthright of the kingdom. Romans 14, 17 says, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So even though you can cultivate it, don't misunderstand me, you can't earn it. You can cultivate and actually accelerate its increase, but you can't earn this joy. It is a gift. It is actually a birthright of the kingdom. It is a part of your inheritance as a son or a daughter. In particular, in this specific context, Paul is encouraging us as members of God's kingdom to treat each other joyfully. Now, a lot of times when we think about joy, we think about, we're thinking about us. I just want joy. I just really, I just want to be happy. I want joy. I want, I want this feeling of joy. But when Paul is teaching and preaching and, and admonishing his people to be filled with joy, really his goal is that that would have incredible impact on the way they relate to each other. He's saying no matter what your circumstances, treat each other generously. That's why he says that when the joy of Jesus is present and abiding in you, your kindness will be seen everywhere you go. Now the fourth area, fourth source of joy is believing. Romans 15, 13 says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. As you choose to believe, as you trust God, again, not earned, but conditioned or cultivated, as you choose to trust him, as you choose to believe him, the atmosphere that grows joy increases in your life. As you choose to believe, as you choose to trust, you will see his joy increase. Now here's number five. The last source of joy. We have joy because He is coming. He's coming. Read through all of Scripture. The common theme in Scripture from Genesis to Revelation. He is coming. You can mark it down. You can count on it. He is coming. He is coming. The whole message of Advent is he is coming. We sang about it today. We want to be a, a bride. We want to be a church that is ready for his coming, that anticipates. We don't want to be caught by surprise. We want to expect and anticipate his coming. 
Gratitude. Gratitude in what he's done, but also a focus on what he's going to do. Gaudetta is one more week until he comes. That's the message of Gaudetta is that Jesus will be here in a week. (laughs) How about that? Pretty amazing. Advent, the message of Advent is he came, he is come, he will come. Everything will be set right. Every tear will be wiped away and everything will be made new. That is the message of his coming. Everything will be set right. Every tear wiped away. Everything will be made new. Here's the beauty of Advent. You don't have to wait for some day off in the future that we don't know and even Jesus doesn't know, the day of his ultimate return. We can experience Advent here and now, today. Because Advent is not just he came, and Advent is not just he will come. Advent is he is come. He is here. He can make your sadness today into joy. He can wipe your tears away today. He can make things right in your life today. Now, let's pray. Lord, we pray that you would open our eyes, open our hearts, open our spirits to the presence of Jesus in this place. That there is no sadness that we can't give to him. There's no hurt that we can't give to him. There's no disappointment that we can't give to him. That your desire today is to birth in us and release in this house a level of joy that would surpass and exceed everything, anything we've ever known. Lord, we want to celebrate even today your coming. We rejoice today in your coming. In Jesus' name, amen. Here's the the deal. So, you know, when you preach on joy, uh, it's easy for those who are walking in joy. But the reason that I preach on joy is not for those who are walking in joy. You really don't need that. You're doing it. The reason I preach on joy is for those who are not. Some of you are, are you're sad, maybe even depressed. And circumstances of life have gotten you down. And, and our prayer for you today is that your eyes would be open to the presence of Jesus in your situation. He has come. He is with you. You're not alone. You're not alone. 
And he wants to breathe hope and joy and love into your life. All right? Won't you stand? I'm going to invite our teams to come. And we're going to have a time of ministry this morning. And whatever your need, whatever your situation, you know, it's always an interesting thing. We used to be afraid to come to the altar in, in church because we thought that that would mean everybody would think that we weren't saved. And uh, so we wouldn't come. And now, you know, you talk about, you know, walking in difficulty and not having joy. And now nobody wants to come because they, you know, don't want people to think that they're sad. And I just want to say to you, you are free. You're free. We, this place, we, we, we're going to, we just are letting go of judgment and speculation and fault finding and all of that. And we're celebrating together as a family of God that Jesus is available today to all of us. If you are the happiest you have ever been, you can still come for prayer. But also if you're the saddest you've ever been and you can't, you just can't make yourself come, maybe a friend could come with you. But we, we definitely want to pray for you today it's okay to be sad in fact sometimes it's appropriate but Jesus wants to sit with you in that place and love you Holy Spirit move here today release your joy not that surface put on and take off joy that sometimes we counterfeit, but the true, deep, abiding joy that only you can bring. In Jesus' name.